Well, good afternoon and welcome. Friday is here, and so too is the weekend. It is a a great day for talk radio. My sentiments, exactly. Wow, you know, just every time Friday comes here, there's a real sense of relief, a palpable sense that uh, mission accomplished. You know who else has that same sense? This uh, Detective Sergeant Hank Edzinga with the Homicide Squad, because uh, they've wrapped up at 53 Mallory Crescent in Leaside, because uh, this is the site the horrific scene of all these body parts having been discovered and uh, even as recently as this past week i guess in the last couple of weeks as the sniffer dogs had pointed out uh, they kept digging and digging and digging further and uh, pretty much upended the entire property in the back in the ravine and uh, found body parts every single day that they were out there but uh, apparently finally the police confirmed that the remains of an eighth victim have now been ascertained over the course of nine days of searching there and uh this case it was the 53 year old missing individual majid kahan for whom macarthur had been charged but they hadn't been able to find any positive identification of body parts but now they say uh they've actually come up uh with concrete evidence to their mind that this was the guy that's missing and so uh we closed the books for all intents and purposes on this particular location now, Detective Sergeant Hank Edzinga is cautiously optimistic about the future of the investigation. I don't know if it stops at date. I, ho- I hope it stops at date. So uh, we are focused right now on the court process as well and getting disclosure ready uh, and getting the crowns up to speed on the investigation and the evidence. So uh, the investigation, I wouldn't say is turning, but it is definitely progressing. At this time, we have no evidence to suggest that there are any further remains to be located at any further locations. All right, well, that's a job well done. You would hope, you know, you can go home now. And I don't know how you would ever, if you're part of that assignment, be able to erase that from your mind. I mean, it just haunts you, doesn't it, for the rest of your naturals. I guess that's why these guys are made of sterner stuff or somewhere along the line. uh, You learn to cope with it. But you've got to understand, wow, just... Finding human remains, one set after another after another, and uh, up to eight, and closing it off at this particular location, as I say. On other matters that have to do with the police, the police are making the news in a lot of ways and cases, of course, or public uh, policy that would involve the police and certain rules and regulations. I see where the mayor has announced a rollout of these advanced pedestrian signals at 80 intersections across the city. It's called the uh, Leading Pedestrian Interval Program. And what it really means is uh, it gives pedestrians an advanced walk signal at the start of each traffic signal change so that they can enter the crosswalk earlier. Well, you know, I mean, again, nice in theory and practice, though. (laughs) You've got the walk and the don't walk signs, and you've got countdown clocks on a lot of the signals now, which don't seem to amount to a whole hill of beans for a lot of pedestrians. You'll see the countdown clock at, you know, three, two. And finally, somebody decides they're going to be Usain Bolt and sprint through the intersection. Meanwhile, cars are trying to turn right, and they've got to put on the binders so that they don't crash into the... You know, if people just paid attention to those signals to begin with, we wouldn't have an issue. Now, who's to say this lead uh, would... Okay, it allows pedestrians to get into the crosswalk earlier than the traffic is allowed in. But then when the traffic's finally allowed in, you think the pedestrians are going to say, well, we've had our turn. We're going to stand here on the curb dutifully. Uh Uh-uh. Never seen that. They're going to continue to bolt on through. 
For what it's worth, the mayor says the plan is to install 80 signals by the end of the year. This is something that has been a proven success in reducing the number of collisions between pedestrians and turning vehicles uh, in other cities where it's been implemented. Uh, the number that is used is an up to 60% reduction in the number of such collisions between pedestrians and turning vehicles in other cities. All right, well, let's wait and see, I guess. The rollout calls for 80 by the fall, but what about a signal to clear the intersection? You know, it's like a... <laughs> like a big foghorn or something. something. Yeah, like get and your arse moving. Or... Right, because it's still in the intersection and the cars that are trying to turn... That's part of the problem here in the city, as I see it, when you've got people who are trying to turn right, for example, and they're waiting, and pedestrians, they kind of, it's done piecemeal. Mm -hmm. If you could clump them together, you know, have some kind of a a cone that descends over them, and only 30 are allowed into the group, and then they march dutifully like sheep, tightly compacted. Sure. Get them through, and then you're done. Like a net. Yeah, you got to wait for the next cohort. because The next net. Right. Because all it takes is you can have a 30-second uh, window of walking across, but if only one pedestrian comes by every four seconds and they're shuffling v- very slowly, uh-huh. who's going to turn right on that? The, the car is sitting there, and they're just chewing on their knuckles because yeah. the pedestrian... And pedestrians have this sense of empowerment that they feel they have the right of way. Now, I get that they're somehow entitled because the walk signal is going their way, or it's a green, but geez, you know, there's got to be some kind of a quid pro quo or responsibility to allow the drivers to turn as well. And all it, it means one driver, one single car can actually make a right at any intersection. If you've got 10 piled up, you're waiting a good 10, 15 minutes and then add a bicycle or two into the equation and you know well the bikes are acting like pedestrians anyway you know i mean it's not like they have to if they're making a right hand turn they can't turn because the pedestrians are coming they'll just find a way to fish their way through it's the car that becomes the issue so anyway this is the mayor's latest plan and uh goodness knows he's got a bunch of them and we'll follow through on some of it. Uh, he's also weighed in on this lockout that's uh, taking place, I guess, today, as of today. Picket lines being erected at ex- Exhibition Place because the board there locked out the union, the IATSE Local 58 people, the skilled workers who provide technical and staging expertise for events at Exhibition Place. That includes BMO Field and the Intercare Center. I think the operative word there is technical, too. Like, what what are they involved in that, you know, could provide for, you know, efficiency, safety, all kinds of things. And you, well, you get people who people. are seasonal workers, and they come in, and, yeah, do they have as much skin in the game? Do they have as much skill, you know? Well, um, no, to me, the real question is, I mean, if you're going to an Argos game or a TFC game or even the CNE that kicks off in less than a couple of, what, less than a month now, August 17th? Yeah, mm-hmm. August 17th to September 3rd. Would you cross the picket line if these people put up a picket line and they were still having their standoff with the board because the board's locked them out? It's not a strike when you're locked out because the board's decided, hey, uh, this isn't going anywhere. We'll bring in some scab labor, replacement labor, and you're going to see the picket line. If the picket lines are set up at an Argos game or something like that or the TFC, boy, I can't see that unruly crowd saying, well, for the TFC anyway, polite crowd at the Argos game. Uh they're not going to stay stand down and say, uh, "You're right. We uh, uphold your right to collective bargaining." And blah, blah. take their tickets and turn around and go back home. That ain't going to happen. No, not as far as I can see. But this is what IANSI officials are saying. Uh, 
The lines are going to go up as soon as they receive official notice of the lockout. I was told that's going to happen today. The board and the mayor, he says the city risks uh, ruining the CNE. Or no, this is the union guy. He says the city risks ruining the CNE by locking us out of Exhibition Place. In fact, the safety of all events at Exhibition Place will be compromised by companies bringing in less skilled workers to set up and supervise events. The plan's being driven by the mayor's office to the benefit of the major corporations, such as Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, that mount events at venues at Exhibition Place. I don't know. I mean, I don't see anybody actually turning around because they face a picket line. But this is what'll happen if this drags on towards CNE time. Seems futile to me. We'll have to wait and see. As I say, the mayor is implicated in a lot of things. On the CNE thing, by the way, the local 58 president, Justin Athenius, Athenius, whatever it is, he believes it was the city's plan all along to pit the union against the patrons of the CNE. They asked us to not uh, strike before the CNE and. We said that we would think about not striking, but we're not going to guarantee them that they wouldn't. So they took this uh, avenue of locking us out. We made the last proposal at the bargaining table, and then they walked out. So, you know, we're still willing to talk, but it seems that the city has had a a plan since the beginning. Well, I guess the city's playing a hardball. Tory can't be behind that initiative anyway. Uh, he is behind another one, though. This is where the police board today was being asked to uh, greenlight his plan. For more security cameras in this new technology called ShotSpotter. We talked about it yesterday. It's going to be installed in parts of the city, supposedly uh, to curb gun violence. And the chief had asked for these increased uh, high-tech tools to aid and abet the police. So uh, the board approved this request by the mayor yesterday. And they're asking city council to fund it for $4 million dollars. Closed-circuit cameras, I think, from 34 to 74 in various locations where they figure there's going to be maybe some ne'er-do-wells hanging around, perhaps uh, popping off with the shotguns or whatever. But, you know, the shot spotter technology, which is in use in the States, uses microphones to detect and locate the gunfire, and then that informs the police. I gotta ask, because, you know, I was just talking to the head of the police association on this matter, and he kind of scoffed at it saying, yeah, okay, this American technology, it's all well and good in theory and practice, though. What are the police supposed to do if they don't have enough resources already to patrol certain areas? And I think he makes a compelling case. It's just like you have an alarm in your home and somebody breaks in. Like, how quick is that response time? You know, if nobody's around to answer. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. And we're already hearing about the 911 wait times. We've heard callers on this show say themselves, you know, why am I going to call if it's not a real, you know, big emergency because it takes so long. We've heard about this 911 response times. You add the, you know, gunshot technology as well. It's like, hmm. Well, here's hmm. Mayor Tory. He says the installation of the technology is going to cost $4 million. Yeah, but we can't afford not to do it. It's a lot of money. It's spread over two years. Uh, it is also, most of it is a one-time cost to actually install the technology, and then the operational costs each year are far less than that. So to me, uh, when the police chief has asked me, uh, you know, as, uh, me meaning as a member of the board and as mayor and as a member of the city council, to give him these tools so that his men and women can do a better job, my answer to that is yes, because uh, we've got to uh, make sure we keep the city safe. 
All right. Well, I'm going to open the lines because I'm kind of curious. The $4 million, money well spent, do you believe this will help to improve safety in the city? I hate to be the naysayer all the time or somewhat skeptical or even cynical about the process, but, you know, the gun and gang thing, you know, by the time anybody responds, they're long gone. It's just like folks who break into your home and the alarm goes off. You know, they're gone in 60 seconds. Or they can even, you know, tarry a little, you know, take their time. Basically, uh, you know, try on the watches that they're about to steal. Have a scotch. So, yeah, maybe a (laughs) cigar, break into your humidor, right. And, you know, and then waltz out the door. Because unless there's a neighbor who hears the commotion and decides to come over with a Rottweiler or something... I can't see anybody's response being adequate in ter- in terms of the time. But the mayor, he's kind of uh, fixed on doing this because it looks like something's being done. And he claims this is what the chief had asked for. But unless you have the resources to back this up, I just don't know. It seems to me like it's window dressing. And again, it's signaling like you're doing something. But in practical terms, just how realistic and meaningful is this? Oh, by the way, Tori does go on to explain how the microphones will be helpful. What it's effective at doing is allowing the police to be alerted immediately, like real time, because the minute it picks up a gunshot, it transmits that information directly to the police as compared to the current circumstance, where in some cases people don't even call 911 because they hear a gunshot, and in other cases they call 911, and by the time uh, the police uh, you know, get the notification to get there, uh, then the person may well be long gone. And, and so the expectation is that it's going to increase our ability to get to these places faster and to get precisely to the place where the gunshot came from. That's the expectation, sure. Uh, How practical is that, though? Does that make sense to you as you really think about it in terms of response time? And when you've got the head of the association constantly complaining about a lack of resources and manpower and there's just not enough to even address current somewhat urgent calls, realistically, you think that this is a solution or even in part, a small part, is going to help to deter gun crime? Great day for talk radio. It's the Friday edition of The Oakley Show.